All right. Thank you, guys. Good morning. Uh, well, my name is Ryan Schreckengast, uh, and I'm one of the preachers here at GFC, and I have the pleasure of bringing you God's Word this morning. Um, I'm excited because I think that today is is just a really beautiful passage, and it encapsulates um, the whole gospel, which is really amazing for um, what we're going to be talking about this morning and from what all appearances seem to be. Um, so I wanted to ask, have you ever had a conversation with someone that you thought was about one thing when in reality it was about something totally different? I'll go out on a limb. Maybe you've had this kind of conversation with your spouse, question mark. Uh, maybe that's what you've experienced. Uh, one of my favorite stories of this was when Aiden was almost three and Steph was pregnant with Addie. Um, and I may have shared this story with you before because I love it so much, but I think it illustrates my point. So uh, bear with me if you've already heard this story. But uh, when, uh, when Aiden was three and Steph was pregnant with Addie, we used to read books. We still read books every night. But one of the books that we really loved to read was the Pajama Time story by Sandra Boynton. Uh, and in this story, there's a bunch of different animals who are all getting ready for bed and putting on pajamas. There's a lion and a sheep and an elephant and a moose, and all of these different animals are putting on pajamas. And three-year-old Aiden uh, gets to the end where all of the animals are, are there gathered together getting ready for bed. Uh, and he points to the elephant and he says, look, mommy, that one's like you. <laughs> uh, and my wife, because she's a wise woman of God, uh, looks at Aiden and says, really, son, why is that? Uh, and he says, well, because she looks like you. And she says, how exactly does she look like me, Aiden? And he says, because she's wearing a fuzzy pink pajamas. Of course, that's why she looks like you, mommy. There would be no other reason at all. Uh, and I love that because it, it just shows how easy it is to see one thing happening on the surface that you think you understand what is going on. But really, uh, it's something else entirely. And today, Jesus is going to have a conversation uh, during a meal that appears to be on the surface just sort of about party etiquette, how to moralistically behave uh, in a group or with, with certain situations. But what he's actually doing is going to be so, so, so much more. It's going to be a really sobering reminder for the religious to consider for themselves the assumptions that they have made about their relationship with God. Uh, and even more than that, it's a promise that God's glory will be proclaimed throughout the entire earth and that heaven will be full uh, in the last days. So today, Jesus does this by first through verses seven, uh, in verses seven through 11, reminding his listeners that the honor at a feast belongs to the host to give away as he chooses. And secondly, in verses 12 through 14, that that honor, that repayment uh, from God is infinitely greater than any honor from man. And so as a result of this third, in verses 15 through 24, we are encouraged by Jesus not to make excuses, but to accept the invitation of God. 
So I hope today that we see that it's God is the one. God is the one who elevates the humble to sit beside him through his invitation with his son, servant, Jesus Christ. So let's start by reading together Luke 14, 7 through 11. And please allow Jesus to remind you that the honor is his to give and not ours to take. Uh, Luke 14, 7 through 11. Now, he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So in these verses, Jesus starts in on a line of reasoning by reminding his audience that the honor at a feast is the hosts to give, and not up to the guests to take for themselves what they believe to be appropriate. We read last week in verse 1 that the setting of this parable is during uh, a meal that Jesus has been invited to in the house of a, quote, ruler of the Pharisees. Um, so this was a very, uh, an invitation of great honor uh, that it's this leading class and not just a leading class, but the, the leader among a leading class. And we see in verse 7 that the other guests here recognize the, the great honor that they have been given in an invitation to this meal. And so they begin to, to place themselves uh, according to whatever they believe to be um, their value, their worth, in the greatest positions of honor that they're able to take for themselves. But honestly, in doing this, what they're really doing is they're usurping the authority that only the host has. They're choosing where to go, and it's only up to the host to choose where everyone at that party should go. And in verse 9, Jesus tells this story illustrating the same kind of event. He, he, he looks at what is going on in this situation all around him right now, and he uses that description to illustrate an extremely important point. So in verse 9, the host arrives in Jesus' story, and he overrules all of the self-applied honors uh, that, that people have given to themselves. He, he pushes people down who he doesn't want to be there, and he lifts people up. Um, and for the person who's pushed down, how humiliating that must have been. Uh, can can you imagine just for a second how humiliating it must feel to publicly be given less value uh, than you claimed uh, in front of everyone? Uh, the the closest I could think of for this uh, this has happened to me on a couple of occasions, uh, where I'm I'm in a room with a number of people and I see someone waving to me across the room, and so I wave back hi, uh, and then someone walks past my shoulder also waving and I see that the person who I waved to was not actually waving to me at all they were waving to the the person behind me 
And uh, that happened a couple of times in college and, and since then, which I clearly remember. And it's, it's extremely humiliating and it feels very degrading, right? Because the person not only wasn't waving at you, but literally didn't even see you to recognize that you were waving at them. They were so engaged with the person behind you. And it's so much worse even when there are other people around who, who witness that moment of your humiliation. Uh, I feel like that's the, the feeling that we could get from this, this moment that is um, described by Jesus. But the opposite, Jesus says, is also true. In verse 10, the host exercises this same power to choose where people will be honored. But this time, it's a public declaration of honor not of humiliation. And I, I was thinking of an example of this, which was um, if you have ever met a, a friend at the airport who comes rushing uh, past other people to greet you in an extremely crowded place, and, and they just look past the sea of people right to you, only to you, because you are the one that they are here to see. You are the one that they value in that moment above everyone else who just fades into the background. Uh, so Jesus is describing these very uh, emotional moments uh, and, and taking the honor of people very seriously. And then he drives home this parable by referencing some of the words of Solomon in Proverbs. Uh, let me read for you a couple of these, Proverbs 25, 6, and 7. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. For it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. And this theme is all through Proverbs 29, 23 says, one's pride will bring him low and he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. And Proverbs 3, 34 and 35, toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The, the wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. So how does this apply to us, church? Please do not be fooled into believing that you can take for yourself the honor that only God can give. And this should seem obvious, right? But the problem is that our hearts lie to us. At every chance we get, we make ourselves out to be more honorable than is truly the case, don't we? And this is human nature. Uh, I certainly try to paint myself in the best possible light, don't you? And who doesn't, you, you put your best face forward, right? You, you um, interpret events in a way that's going to be the most flattering to you. You're not lying, but you're interpreting. You're giving yourself the best seat. I could sit here or I could sit here. I'm going to sit in the seat that is the best, that's interpreting the most honor onto myself. Um, some practical examples of, of when we, we perhaps falsely attribute more honor to our actions than we deserve are, are some things like this. Uh, when I snap at my kids, it's because they were being completely unreasonable. It has nothing to do with my heart condition at all. Um, my coworkers are just so infuriating when we're on Zoom. They can't respect everyone's time. Everyone else knows that we need to end this on time. And so I am justified in my, um, my feelings towards them. 
another one is that no one really respects what a good job that I've done given the circumstances. If things had just been given to me in a better state, then I would have done much better and gotten uh, a better result than I have. It's the fault of those who have come before me, uh, not any responsibility of my own. Uh, and these are not accusations, but these are examples of how I think every single one of us believes the lie in our hearts that we need to put ourselves in the best position possible, the best version of the truth, so to speak. Uh, we need to give our seat, ourselves the best seats of honor. But friends, that is a lie. That is a lie that our hearts tell us, that it is our responsibilities to paint ourselves in those ways. And in fact, it's not only a lie that we believe, but it takes away from the, the rightful authority and glory of God to assign those honors as he sees fit, not as we see fit. And so Jesus here, as he concludes this, this first section, um, is quoting from the Proverbs, and he's He's speaking in the language that the Pharisees, who are also there with him at this, at this meal, would feel very comfortable with. They would feel familiar with these Proverbs. They would be um, put at ease, so to speak. Uh, and in fact, Jesus has spoken pretty highly of the host uh, at, this, at this meal, right? He's giving an illustration saying that the host has the authority, and so his actual host, who is there, uh, is probably feeling pretty comfortable at this point, right? That the honor at the feast is the host's to give, and he's the host, so all good. Jesus is saying that I have authority and honor and all of these wonderful things, isn't he? Uh, but but that <laughs> is about to be questioned here in the next section. Jesus moves on to the second point that the honor and repayment of God is far greater than the honor of man. He's going to start to, to ask the question, why is it so easy to believe these heart lies that we believe? Why do we paint ourselves, excuse me, in the best possible light? Because what he's doing is, is actually drawing out this, uh, this host that he's, um, he's eating a meal with and giving the host an opportunity to do exactly this. He's, he's revealing the heart of everyone who's around him. And I think that this, this lie that we believe is so easy to do that because we value man's honor so much more than we value God's honor. So let's read verses 12 through 14 and believe that the repayment of God is infinitely more glorious than the repayment of man. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be paid, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Well, friends, these verses show us that by serving what God loves, he repays far more 
than by loving the things that serve us. And this is the moment in the conversation where the host of the meal probably begins to feel a little uncertain. Uh, wait, Jesus, isn't your whole point here that the honor is mine to give at a feast? I'm the host, so shouldn't I get to choose the participants and those who I honor? But now you're saying that I should invite I shouldn't invite who I want, but I should invite people who are lowly and who can't even uh, offer me anything and, and would not even be a, a joy to me to have in a feast. And he's probably beginning to question whether this conversation is really about what he thought it was about a minute ago. Uh, and this is a theme that Jesus is going to call into question, or, sorry, Jesus is going to call into question the motives behind these traditions and these religious uh, observances that so many of the Pharisees felt they could rest on. They knew what to do. They had the right thing to do. And Jesus repeatedly calls into question their motives, um, not just here, but it, throughout the Gospels. Uh, in Matthew 5, Jesus begins one of his most famous teachings, the, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where he's going to challenge uh, the standards of the Hebrew law. And he's going to actually raise the bar on all of these things that people uh, had rested their hopes on. Um, this bar of righteousness before God is going to be raised from not just murdering, but to anger. And not from don't commit adultery, but to don't lust. And not from don't break your oaths to don't even lie in any situation under oath or not. Uh, and then in Matthew 6, 1, Jesus makes this general statement, which I think really encapsulates what we're talking about here. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And then he, he goes on uh, throughout Matthew 6 to apply this in a bunch of different ways. In, in verses six, uh, chapter 6, verse 3, he applies this principle to giving to the needy. Uh, and then in 6.5, he applies this principle to prayer. And in 6.16, he applies this principle to fasting, the, the principle of doing righteousness in order to be seen by others so that you would gain honor, so that you would have a repayment. And so here we are uh, in Luke 14.14. 14, Jesus talks about the honor that is being given and telling us that it can only be given one time. Honor can only be given by either man or God at the resurrection of the just. And he is openly challenging the hypocrisy of his, of the leader, of his listeners. Uh, he's challenging them that they have twisted everything, even, even the righteousness that was given to them by God to execute the, this law. Even that has been twisted into a form of self-service. How does serving the needy become about me? How does, how does caring for the lowly, the widows and the orphans, how does that become about me and my honor, adding to my esteem? Jesus is, is challenging everyone there at that table uh, to reconsider 
where they are looking to, where they look to for their honor. Are they looking to their honor for their honor from God, or are they looking for honor from man? Uh, and remember that we already have learned that the honor at a feast is the hosts to give. So who is the host? The host, my friends, is not you or me. The host is God. And he will give the honor to the one who serves the things that he loves. And he loves the broken. He loves the pitiful. He loves the poor and the lost and the isolated. He loves the rejected. He loves the failures. He loves the lost, those who are not yet a part of his kingdom. He will leave the 99 to go and rescue the one. Those are the people that our host, God the Father, loves. So how does this apply to us? Friends, I challenge you to give yourself to those that God gave himself for. The lowly and those who are unable to pay you back. And why do you do this? Because you love what God loves. You love them not because of what they can do for you, because it's not about you. You love them because God loves them. And so when you give of your time and your money and your prayers for ministries like the Pregnancy Resource Clinic, that work to educate and encourage and empower men and women and save lives, you are acting in the love of Christ, in his love for mothers and fathers and children. In his love, we can act in his love in this world by doing those things, by serving the things that he loves. And when you take time to listen well maybe hours of your time, to, to mourn with those who are suffering. You are acting in the love of Christ, who is the God of all comfort. And children, let me speak to you for a moment. When you risk what your friends think of you so that you can be kind to people who might be disliked, you are acting in the love of Christ, who made that other kid who made him and loves him so much and you can show him how much God loves him and that is an amazing thing you see the problem friends is that we so often assume that we are the hosts at our own party and this is not the case uh, Tom said a few weeks ago that a parable is not a metaphor I really appreciate that because that, that informs what is happening here. Jesus is telling a parable to these, uh, to his listeners. And their assumption is that Jesus is trying to associate with them one-to-one -one connections. The host Jesus is talking about is the host and the guests are the guests, but he's not doing that. He's not giving a metaphor. He's giving a parable. Uh, and we can't draw one-to-one -one connections between the characters in a parable and the listeners. What a parable does is it illustrates a spiritual truth. And it's revealing to those of us who have ears 
to listen that we might be blind to that spiritual truth. So when Jesus tells this parable, his listeners are assuming that they know who they are in the story. If not the host, then at least they will be those uh, who will be repaid for their righteousness by joining into the kingdom of God. They have this assumption, and this is going to be, be showed to us in the next section, uh, which is probably my favorite section of this whole, uh, this whole passage, uh, where Jesus is going to drive home his final devastating challenge, where he's going to reveal that this is not a conversation about party etiquette. This is about the gospel. This is about salvation. And he is, he is begging his listeners to hear that truth in this uh, story that he is telling. So let's read verses 15 through 24. And friends, please be challenged to consider what excuses that you have that may prevent you from accepting the invitation of God. Read this with me. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had invited, who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind, and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my banquet. So in these verses, Jesus drives home this challenge to reconsider the assumed inclusion into the kingdom of God. I just love imagining this scene here uh, that Luke is describing, this unfolding of the conversation as what Jesus is actually talking about begins to slowly dawn on his listeners, uh, and I think some more quickly than others. Jesus starts by apparently at the beginning of our of our chapter this morning he starts by apparently supporting this role of the host uh, and then transitioning into some subtle speech about serving the poor and some some moral obligations uh, which may have built a tension of awkwardness uh, for those who picked up on the challenge and and maybe had a bit of pang of of guilt for how they were uh, behaving around the poor but I love it because then we get this guy. Uh, (laughs) this guy, uh, it says, when he heard these things, he said, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. 
this this guy thinks that he knows what the conversation is about. He thinks he is saying the correct thing, um, and he is not. He is not. Uh, when I uh, an illustration I think of when we go out to eat with a large group of friends at a restaurant and there's a table of maybe 20 of us when we used to be allowed to go out uh, and sit at a table with many friends and 20 of us. Uh, I used to, Steph would encourage me to sit at one end of the table. She would say, Hey, sit over here, Ryan, at this end, don't sit in the middle because if I sit in the middle of the table, I'm going to try to listen and participate in every single conversation on both sides of the table. Uh, and I'm going to think that I know what's going on. I can, I, I believe, I honestly do believe that I can track 15 different conversations and contribute something valuable to all of them. Um, and no, I can't, <laughs> which is why my wife says sit at one end, because I'll say something that I think is perfectly in tune with the conversation that's going on. And people will just kind of stare at me blankly, um, wondering where, where did that come out of left field from, Ryan? That is not what we're talking about here at all. Uh, so I, I totally feel the emotion uh, in these passages of, of possibly the silent looks or the awkward glances uh, that must have come at this guy. Everybody sort of turns and awkwardly stares at him um, because he gives this, this pat religious answer. He gives the safe answer, the acceptable thing that he thinks is the appropriate thing to say at this time. What? We're, we're talking about the righteous who will be rewarded on the day of resurrection. That's us, the Jews, the Pharisees, the religious elite. So I blurt, <laughs> I, I blurt this thing out here. Blessed are those who will eat in the kingdom of God. And, and he just, he should have listened to my wife. He, he shouldn't have spoken uh, at, at that point. Buddy, you know, you really put your foot in it because Jesus turns his attention to this guy and addresses his most challenging teaching of the whole meal right to this guy. Uh, and he gets to be the, the sort of focal point for Jesus's next teaching, which I'm extremely grateful to the Lord that we now can benefit from this teaching that, that this guy sort of took the brunt of for us. So thank you, God. Um, but, but Jesus looks at this guy uh, and, and he says, he begins his, his uh, parable in verse 16. He says, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And that should probably remind us of an important context question uh, regarding these several chapters of Luke that we are exploring. I want us to jump back for a minute and remember that in Luke 13, 23, that's just the previous chapter, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And these chapters of Luke are exploring this. Uh, and in 1323, Jesus says uh, that when he's on his way to Jerusalem, he's asked this question by a man from the crowd. A, 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 another sort of random guy comes out and asks him a question. But it's the focal point of all of these chapters of Luke. The question is this, Lord, will those who are saved be few. And Peter talked about this last week, that this is the theme of all of these chapters. So when Jesus says that there are many who are invited to this banquet, we should really 
pay attention and focus now because this is the heart of what Jesus is teaching. He has been building up to this through all of these passages that I've just been reading here this morning. And I want us to first understand that this, this feast that Jesus is talking about now is, again, not simply a metaphor. This feast is a very real thing. And in Revelation, this feast is called, it has a name, it's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Let me read Revelations 19, 7 through 9. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And this sounds an awful lot like what our favorite dinner guest said, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. That sounds very similar. So what's the problem? Well, the problem is in verses 14 through 18, that they all alike began to make excuses. I have bought a field. I must go and see it. I have bought oxen. I go to examine them. I have married a wife. I cannot come. Jesus is making it extremely clear that what is happening to these men individually is more important to them than the bridegroom. Their experiences are greater to them than joining with the celebration of the bridegroom. These are the kinds of good things that Jesus, that his audience would have been very familiar with, that they would have had in plenty. They were wealthy, they were respected, they were loved, they were the, the spiritual elite, those who the people looked up to and gave great honor. They were full to the brim with the prosperity and the honor of man. But in verse 21, the master of the house became angry. He became angry because those who were supposed to receive the first invitation from him, the greatest honor, rejected him. So will the marriage feast of the Lamb be empty? Will those who are saved be few? We should ache to hear the answer to this question because it does not look good. But in the second part of verse 21, the servant goes out and brings in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. The bridegroom here does exactly the same thing that Jesus challenged his dinner host to do in verse 13. He invites the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. It's the exact same list. We just switched the last two. <laughs> he invites the ones that God loves. 
the ones that God loves, are who are invited to this feast. And then he goes even further and he compels people to come in. To the homeless who are seeking shelter underneath the hedges alongside roads that have literally nothing. But God loves them. And so his house is filled with an even greater number of those that God loves than if every one of those original invitees had accepted that invitation. This feast will be now literally so full that there is not room for even one more person. That is what the servant of the master accomplishes. Let me read from Revelations 19 one more time. But this time, I'm not going to start at verse 7. I'm going to start at verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Friends, will those who are saved be few? No. Heaven will be full. It will be bursting at the seams with the righteous. But it will be empty of those who reject the invitation of the groom. Jesus concludes his message here by speaking in the words of the groom in his story. And I believe also by speaking in his own words, speaking for himself at this point. Verse 24, for I tell you, None of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Friends, Jesus is the lamb. This is his marriage feast. And so do you see how this is not a metaphor? This is a parable. Jesus is the servant who goes out and gathers in the needy. And he is the, the, the groom of honor. This is the unavoidable challenge that Jesus lays before those who are listening today. Blessed is everyone. Uh, sorry, he, he is challenging this statement that was made. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Because this is the pat answer. This is the assumed answer that it is those who were there in that room, the Jews, the religious elite, who will be the guests at God's feast. It reveals their heart that they have assumed for themselves the honor of the invitation of God. But that is a dangerous, dangerous thing. Because of that assumption, they will make excuses for why the honors that they have accepted mean they cannot participate in the kingdom of God. They will not follow the advice to serve the things that God loves. 
Instead, they will continue to, to, to love the things that serve them. And so they will not even get a taste of the glory and the honor when God comes and pushes down the proud and raises up the humble. God will instead find those who were rejected by this world, just as his son was himself rejected by this world. And he will give to those people the righteousness of God. So, friends, how does this apply? Please humble yourself and seek to glorify God before glorifying yourself. And don't let anything distract you from joining in the celebration of the Son. God wants you to join with him. That's why he sent his servant son to bring all of us into his house, to save so many that heaven is overflowing with those that he loves. And this is why we can do the previous things. Because when when we learned that the host would be uncomfortable inviting the lame and the poor and the blind because they weren't really the ones that he wanted at his party anyway. They are exactly the ones that God wants at his party. And so heaven will be full of those who are excited to celebrate with him the things that he has done. But don't let your lying heart deceive you that you have to paint yourself in some better light so that you can be, so that you can receive an invitation to that party. Don't do it. Don't believe that lie. God loves the broken and he loves the lost. He loves us. And so when we accept that honor of his invitation, we do so because he is the one who is worthy of honor. He can choose where to give that honor. And so he will say, friend, move up higher. He will elevate us. And he will oppose the proud. But he will give grace to the humble. So I hope that today you've seen that God is the one who elevates the humble to sit by his side through the invitation of his servant, Jesus Christ. That he is the one who gives honor to those who serve what he loves, not who love the things that serve them. And I hope that you are challenged to humble yourself, choosing to accept the invitation of Jesus, to join with him and to eat bread with him in the kingdom of God. Not because you are so worthy, but because God loves you so, 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 so much. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you uh, this morning for your word. Lord, I I, um, pray that we are convicted this morning of uh, the lies of our hearts, that we would um, reject those lies, God, and we would allow you to take the place of rightful authority in our hearts, that we would not seek the glory of man uh, above the glory of God. Lord, you are the one who has accomplished it all. You sent your son, your servant, out to gather us who were lame, and weak. And you compelled us. <laughs> you gave us the thing that we needed 
above all else that we could never give ourselves, the righteousness of your son, Jesus. So I pray, Lord, that you would be with us this morning as we go out. Uh, God, give us grace to share that gospel, that good news with the world so that your heaven may be full to the brim with those who have accepted the invitation of your son. Uh, Lord, thank you. Amen.